welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Unfortunately, drug shortages continue to be a major healthcare issue and can negatively impact patient care outcomes, compromise or delay medical procedures, or result in medication errors. The stabilization of the drug supply chain is a high priority for national and local organizations across government and healthcare industries. Despite best practice guidance from leading world organizations, the root cause of drug shortages is widely unknown, and these uncertainties have led organizations to adopt practices to mitigate their impact on patients. Weighing in on this critical topic is Dr. Joanne Leal, who will highlight what organizations are doing to stabilize the drug supply chain. So today we're going to talk about the drug supply chain and how certain inefficiencies and kind of weaknesses within that chain can lead us to medication shortages. So the reason I chose this topic was uh, now that I'm in my administrative year, I kind of uh, gained a deeper appreciation through rotations for uh, some of our purchasing, procurement, and strategic uh, initiatives surrounding drug supply shortages and felt that was a relevant topic for all of us because um, I'm sure if I were to ask anyone in the room if they've had to deal with any drug shortages in the past week, you would likely say yes. Um, so for that reason, I thought it was a great topic for us to cover today during Grand Rounds. And with any problem, where I really like to start with is by defining it. So let's go ahead and start uh, there in just a moment. Today's discussion will be framed around really three objectives. So I'll start off with a brief introduction uh, covering relevant background, will describe the key elements of the drug supply chain and the impact of drug shortages, not only on our patient population, but also uh, financial uh, impact as well. Then I'll move into those common strategies that we're using on a local level. So what things are we doing as an organization to combat drug shortages and uh, kind of what gaps we might see between the drug supply chain and the current strategies. And then finally, we'll consider the national uh, level. So looking at those government regulations and potentially what gaps are still there uh, based on those recommendations. So I'd like to start off by asking the audience a question. So for those of you online, listening, and those in the room, I uh, can go to pollev.com uh, slash MayoRx. So true or false, there is a standardized definition for the term drug shortage. So perfect. I think um, pretty much everyone has had an opportunity to respond, and I would say I would agree with the majority of the audience. So that is uh, correct. The answer is false. Um, there is not a standardized definition for the term drug shortage. In fact, the World Health Organization estimated in a um, literature review that they did that there was approximately 60, 60 uh, different definitions for the term drug shortage. Here on the screen, you'll see a list of three definitions that I have chosen for discussion today, just to kind of highlight the main perspectives and the key differences uh, in the way that our stakeholders define a drug shortage. So first we have the ASHP, which is a group representing both pharmacists um, and pharmacy practice. So they review 
or they view a drug shortage as a supply issue that affects how pharmacies prepare and dispense a product. So they're really looking things from a supply perspective. Then we have the Food and Drug Administration, who is viewing a drug shortage as a uh, period when the demand or projected demand for the drug exceeds the supply. Then finally, we have from uh, literature, uh, Fong and colleagues defined it as a medicine is not available for the patient at the time they require treatment, regardless of the reason. So this is the definition that really identified with me, because regardless of the reason for shortage, we know that it impacts our patients as well as our financial um, kind of outcomes and what we what resources we dedicate to it. So you might be sitting here saying, what's the big deal? It's a definition. <laughs> How does this change anything? Well, what this really does is it limits our view right now to the stakeholders um, of supply and demand, and it limits our ability to share information across organizations, across countries, because we are not defining the problem the same way. So hopefully as we go through this presentation, um, you'll soon see why that becomes such an issue. To characterize drug shortages, um, here I've classified uh, the most common classes of medications that are commonly associated with, associated with drug shortages. The things I'd like to point out here are the most common agents are central uh, affecting the central nervous system. And then also we see here in the light blue, we have our non-injectable drugs. And so these will represent the formulation that is most often associated with drug classes excuse me, drug shortages. So if we think about perhaps a reason that these uh, formulation would be considered or uh, more often impacted by drug shortages, there are a few key things to consider. The injectable formulations often require uh, higher quality standards and a higher uh, level of preparation. Uh, so a lot of times if they are generic products, they're going to be the first to be impacted. And when we were looking at those numbers, um, they're fairly small in nature when we consider things by drug class. But this was a survey from Vizient, and Vizient represents a group purchasing organization, which is uh, just representative of kind of pharmacies across the nation. So when they looked at the number of drug shortages being handled by individual hospitals, the majority of hospitals were dealing with a number of shortages, uh, approximately over 21 at one time. And why this matters is to deal with drug shortages, it requires dedicated personnel and hours. So as you see here, going from buyers all the way down to physicians, um, across the healthcare team, a lot of our teams are spending a, subs uh, a meaningful amount of time dedicated to these shortages. Now, how does our institution compare? So I was able to speak with one of our uh, leaders last week about uh, the shortages that we are dealing with here as an organization. And I'll just take a quick poll of the audience. Does anyone wanna throw out a number maybe that they think we're dealing with as far as shortages? Mark. Over 15. <laughs> it is well over 15. Um, I'll, I'll give everyone the number. Uh, so currently our organization is dealing with 309 drug shortages at one time. Um, so as you can imagine, we have a lot of resources and personnel dedicated to handling these drug shortages. And I 
absolutely couldn't talk about this uh, without kind of giving them credit for everything they do and the work they put in every day. Because um, even an institution as resource rich as we are, you can only imagine the, the amount of personnel it takes to keep us running. So keeping that in mind, it's kind of easy to see the impact of drug shortages across the spectrum. So looking at alternative products or staffing, we're spending uh, as a nation approximately 200 to 359 million on those items alone. And that's per institution every year. And then there are indirect costs associated with drug shortages. So think about those procedures that are canceled or delayed. And that really impacts our ability to deliver care as well as clinical outcomes. And then just thinking about the people, this impacts, uh, it can impact our patients' adherence as well as just their general satisfaction overall with the delivery of healthcare. So main takeaways is uh, there is no standardized definition for drug shortages, how this impacts us as we are really limited in the data we are able to share across organizations. And then just keep in mind that the number of drug shortages that institutions are handling at one time on average is greater than 20. For our organization, it is uh, quite a bit more than that. Uh, so it requires a lot of personnel and a lot of resources. When we think about drug shortages, we need to first think about drug, the drug supply chain. And what I have here in this graph is highlighting the three key elements of the drug supply chain. We have manufacturing, distribution, and demand. So starting in the left-hand corner of this graph, you'll see active pharmaceuticals, bulk chemicals, and packaging. So it's important to note that manufacturers often will contract out with a third party to get these items supplied. So when this becomes an issue, is when they are not available. And so it's important to note for these active pharmaceutical ingredients, we are often dependent on more resource poor countries, um, most often China and India for our active pharmaceutical ingredients. So any disruption in quality on their side or in their supply chain will impact our manufacturing. Often, if it's a manufacturing breakdown, it's due to the limited quantities of the active pharmaceutical ingredients, compliance with quality standards, business decisions, or natural disasters. And I think the business decisions piece is very important to highlight. So when we think about generic medications, and this graph on the bottom right-hand corner really demonstrates this, when we think about the costs associated with generic medications, it's not very high. So it is not as... Um, cost efficient for them to use or um, allot pharmaceutical ingredient for a service line that does not produce as much profit. Um, so often if there is a quality issue with a certain service line, instead of fixing that quality issue and investing that money, they will often just discontinue the service line altogether and pull those resources into a service line with more profit associated with it. So going back to our supply chain, assuming everything has come to the manufacturer appropriately, it then is distributed um, or uh, sent out to the wholesaler or in sometimes to the pharmacy directly. So when we look at our distributors, um, we have wholesalers who are primary, primarily responsible for the sell and transportation of drugs. And these are made by three major distributors. There is Amerisource Bergen, Cardinal Health, and McKesson. Typically, these 
distributors will only keep about a 30 day supply on hand. And then for pharmacies within the supply chain, their primary role is um, going to be dispensing. And they usually do contract with only one primary wholesaler. Further complicating the relationship between wholesalers and pharmacy is the fact that we are often contracted with one, as I said, but there is our penalties associated when we go off contract with a wholesaler, another wholesaler. And then finally, we have demand. Demand, I think, is very straightforward. Within the drug supply chain, it's either going to be uh, from the patient or the prescriber. So these demands can be transient in nature or continuous. So transient things I think of in some cases would be COVID, influenza, um, respiratory illness, things like that. All right, so despite us having a really great knowledge of kind of the key players of in the drug supply chain, we are in the majority of cases unaware of what causes drug shortages. And that's really demonstrated here in this uh, graph through the FDA. So in 42% of the cases, we do not know why the um, drug is on shortage. And the reason for that is because until 2022, drug manufacturers were not required to share that information with the Food and Drug Administration. So main takeaways from the drug supply chain section, our root causes are unknown in most cases, and what this does is it really limits our ability to act pre uh, proactively to shortages because we are kind of stuck in this reactive state. The key components to the drug supply chain are manufacturing, distribution, and demand. And then finally, with manufacturing, just know that we are limited here because a lot of our ingredients, our active pharmaceutical ingredients, come um, from foreign countries and are often dictated by financial decisions. So for the audience, that'll bring me to my second question. So what are the key components of the drug supply chain? All right, looks like everyone has had a chance to answer, and A is correct. Manufacturing, distribution, and demand is the right answer. For B and C, um, they're very similar in what they're trying to point out here. So pharmacy benefit managers, payers, those are an important part to the drug supply chain, but they do not directly impact drug shortages. For the purposes of our talk today, we'll consider the key uh, components as manufacturing, distribution, and demand. Perfect. So looking at those things that we're doing at a local level from an organization, typically they're really gonna boil down to three key strategies. And you'll notice, or I'd like you to notice that a lot of what we do now and how we handle drug shortages is very kind of reactive in nature. So when we have a drug shortage, um, typically you're going to do what you can to allocate the stock that you have. And some ways that you'll do that is we have um, we redistribute the available stock. So this might look like pulling stock from med stations on the floor and putting it uh, pulling it into a central location and developing criteria for use. So typically that criteria for use also overlaps with our education. So that expert panel will really determine alternative treatments as well as what the criteria will be. And then we often increase beyond use dates um, through uh, work with our experts and then mitigating any waste. And then finally, really operations uh, considerations would be stakeholder communication and then reporting and tracking. 
The main point with this is that our current local strategies, and this is talking about organizations as a whole, um, are really focused on allocating current supply and then approaching um, drug shortages via a standardized way. So again, very reactive currently. You may be asking yourself, how well do our current strategies work? And they have some proven benefit. Um, so this is a graph from ASHP, and it shows the number of prevented drug shortages by year. So most of the data we have related to drug shortages really starts in the 2012 period, and um, in a moment we'll see why. Uh, but you can see in 2021, we, there was a estimated 317 prevented drug shortages. So those core strategies that we reviewed really do work, um, but I definitely think there's room for improvement as we'll soon see. So I again would say the current state, we're limited in our ability to proactively look at these drug shortages. And in future state, I think we can use the data from previous shortages to predict future shortages. So we do have some literature that shows there is some benefit to using predictive analytics in this space. So the first study I wanted us to look at is this retrospective cohort study that evaluated outpatient claims from 2008 to 2014. They looked at a total of 1.3 billion outpatient claims and a little over 1,000 generic drugs were included in the analysis. Their objective was to identify predictors of drug shortages specifically related to pricing. What they were able to find that the median time in shortage was approximately eight 0.4 months, and they found that lower price generics were more likely to be associated with shortages with an odds ratio of 0.60. And then finally, the longer a shortage lasts, the higher the increase in drug costs. So at, at uh, greater than or equal to 18 months, there was approximately a 14% increase in the cost of the drug associated with the shortage. So this really aligns with what we learned earlier, right? So generic drugs are more likely to be on drug on shortage uh, versus our brand names. But let's take this a step further. There was another prospective study done in 2021 that looked at the evaluating the use of a predictive model to anticipate drug shortages. They included approximately 1,500 drugs in the analysis, and they used internal data from purchasing, formulary, and drug shortages at their institution to determine the risk of a shortage. What they determined were positive predictors of a drug shortage were IV formulations, which again aligns with the data that we saw in our um, earlier section. If a drug was IV or PO only, if a drug was antibiotic, analgesics, cardiovascular agents. So negative predictors to call out if a drug is brand only, a schedule two or an orphan drug, or had an um, increased number of manufacturers, that was a negative predictor of drug shortage. This model worked pretty well. Um, so with a sensitivity of 0.71 and specificity of 0.93, I think there's definitely more data that needs uh, to be done in this space, but I think it's a very promising model that they were able to implement at their institution. And then finally, um, this observational study was done um, in approximately 8,000 uh, NDCs included in the analysis. They have found that approximately 3% of the NDCs they included, uh, of note, they only include, included opioids that were FDA approved. Uh, 
So all the opioids uh, that were on shortage were Schedule II, or the majority were injectable, and 92% were generic. And then for each unit increase in um, for each unit increase in prior shortages, it increased the chance of a current shortage by 3.4%. Again, this really aligns with what we already know, right? So injectables are more likely uh, to be on shortage. Generic medications are more likely to be on shortage. And then finally, a previous shortage of a drug really predicts or increases its chance of being part of a future shortage. So takeaways from a local level, right? So we know that we really do our best right now to reactively protect the current stock that we have um, via education and certain operational initiatives. But again, we're really stuck in that reactive state. And then finally, on predictive analytics, there is some promise for its use in this space. Just know that the data um, looking at predictive analytics and drug shortages is fairly limited at this point, but I think it's uh, promising. So next question. What strategies are widely utilized by organizations to mitigate the impact of drug shortages? So restricting the use of current stock and development of an expert panel are definitely some of the core strategies that organizations take um, to uh, approach drug shortages. The use of predictive analytics is not widespread. So it's kind of a trick question there. Um, so the correct answer is D um, for A and B. So now looking at what we do at a national level to combat drug shortages, it's important to note here, when we talk about national efforts to combat drug shortages, we're really considering kind of three, st uh, three key stakeholders. You really have our federal government, you have executive committees uh, made of expert panels, and then you have the manufacturers and distributors. So a lot of the talk around these three case key stakeholders is going to be transparency. Um, and I'm sure you've heard that in the news recently. So as much as these three entities or stakeholders should be aligned in their communication and data sharing, as you'll soon see through some of this legislation, that's been exactly the objective is to kind of improve the data that we're sharing across organizations. Um, because at this point in time, it's very limited, as I've pointed out a few times. So really, I, I mentioned earlier in 2012, that's really when um, we have a lot of the data from organizations regarding drug shortages. That was really catalyzed in 2011 uh, when there was a record number of drug shortages reported to the FDA, approximately 251 new shortages. This led to the passage of the Safety and Innovation Act in 2012. So the main objective of the 2012 legislation was to require uh, manufacturers to notify the FDA of permanent discontinuance or temporary interruption of drug supply. Now, one of the main um, kind of critiques of this legislation was that it was completely up to the manufacturer what they deemed necessary to communicate to the FDA. So definitely um, a little too broad in its legislation. From that 2012 Safety and Innovation Act, we then have the Drug Shortages Task Force that was established. This task force was made up of experts from uh, business, supply chain, and uh, medical experts as well. In 2019, they presented their expert recommendations. So let's look at those real quick. 
So the objective of this task force group was to identify the causes of drug shortages and provide recommendations to mitigate their impact. In their expert opinion, the root causes of drug shortages were due to lack of manufacturer incentives, quality management systems, and regulatory challenges. Now let's talk through those just a moment. So lack of manufacturer incentives. We've already kind of covered the fact that generic drugs are more likely to be on shortage. And the reason for that is uh, likely due to business decisions in most cases. So this expert panel pointed out that manufacturers really have no incentive to continue service lines if they're not profitable. So is there a way to kind of incentivize these, incentivize these manufacturers to continue being a sole generic manufacturer of a drug if it's not necessarily profitable? Then finally, they looked at quality management systems. So again, um, typically quality is rewarded in other industries. However, within our drug supply chain, it is not. Um, so looking at contracting and negotiation on both an organization level, a GPO level, how can we reward quality to those manufacturers who prioritize it? So for them, their solutions really boil down to these three different categories. They recommended that we need to quantify the impact of drug shortages. So again, calling on those key stakeholders to be transparent in their data sharing. And then they recommended a rating system for quality uh, in interventions at a manufacturer level. So really encouraging those manufacturers to improve their current uh, systems and um, just make their processes more efficient overall. And then finally, sustaining private sector contracts. So on an organization level, how can we um, encourage quality? So by including those within our contracts and negotiations. So moving to more recent legislation in 2020, the passage of the CARE Act required manufacturers to provide on information on the discontinuation of products. And you can imagine that really stemmed uh, from the pandemic and the shortage that we saw with the medical supplies. As part of that 2020 act, um, they did again convene an expert panel to look at the drug supply chain. And this panel was called the National Academies and they published a report that we'll look at now. I've boiled this down <laughs> very simply. Um, the National Academies report basically had a total of seven different recommendations. From an awareness standpoint, they really called out the fact that the key stakeholders, again, need to be transparent with the data they're sharing and then make it publicly available. Next, we have mitigation. So for mitigation strategies, they recommended um, an increase in the um, national sub, uh, national stockpile. Um, so basically making that available when drug shortages occur and then preparedness and response. So really, again, calling out those quality systems um, in, the, in our contract negotiations and uh, deals with manufacturers, and then looking at our international guidelines and regulations and how we deal with other countries and uh, the import of products. And then finally, the Drug Security, uh, Drug Supply Chain Security Act. I always stumble on that acronym, my apologies. 
So really the legislation that we've looked at thus far has really been an answer to an act, right? So um, we had the task force that was formed. We then had the National Academies report that was formed um, through legislation. This Drug Supply Chain uh, Security Act was originally passed in 2013. So while these other um, legislation really focused on the drug supply chain and kind of um, reinforcing it and making it stronger, the DSCSA really focuses on protecting the product that's currently within the supply chain. So how it does that, um, this, this was originally enacted in 2013. It, it focused on manufacturing and distribution, and it really focused on product tracing on that package level. And the purpose of this was to protect consumers from those counterfeit or stolen contaminated products that sometimes enter our supply chain through unknown sources. So it was enacted in 2013. It was kind of phased out um, throughout the supply chain. So it applied to manufacturers, then to distributors. And now um, in 2023, it will finally hit the pharmacy uh, pharmacies. So this is going to require unique product identifiers via 2D barcodes on products, as well as product uh, tracing and data on each move of the product through the drug supply chain. And it requires pharmacies to report or investigate and quarantine product that does not follow those tracing requirements. So how does this affect the supply chain? I think it's pretty obvious that it protects, it's trying to protect the products that are currently in the supply chain. However, if a product does not meet the standards as of November uh, 2023, we don't know what happens to the current product in the supply chain if it does not meet those standards. Um, if it was manufactured before 2018, it is it does have the capability of being grandfathered in. However, um, we anticipate we may not be able to use some of our product if it does not follow those standards. So that will be another consideration that needs to be made. So takeaways um, from national efforts, like I said, the uh, Safety and Innovation Act really allowed for the voluntary notification of shortages. The Drug Supply Chain Security Act was really looking at expanding that notification of discontinued products and really just focused on protecting the product that we had currently. The National Academies and any of our expert panels are where we really get the call for transparency and data sharing. And you'll see that in a moment um, with final recommendations. And again, with preparedness, they recommended capacity buffering or that our manufacturers kind of up uh, scale their manufacturing process in order to meet higher demands and then um, changes to that uh, national stockpile. So the final question I have for the group is federal regulations require that manufacturers notify the FDA of select all that apply. So permanent discontinuation of a product, reason for drug shortage, quality improvement, uh, quality improvement projects to increase capacity, or the type of technology used in manufacturing. So I did not know that poll EV does not allow for multiple correct answers. Uh, so just know that uh, that's not possible, but we'll go through it. All right, so um, I would agree. So permanent discontinuation of a product and reason for drug shortage. I think you guys hit it right on the head. Um, that is exactly the right answer. So future state is where I think quality improvement will come into play. So I think the call 
to our manufacturers and those stakeholders within the drug supply chain will really focus on these three key categories looking forward. So I pointed out how those expert committees really called for transparency throughout our supply chain and that that information should be public, publicly available and helped to use in um, decision making across the board. So I think that'll be a key element of the drug supply chain and any uh, national efforts we have going forward. Then finally, uh, or next, excuse me, technology. So the use of predictive analytics, I think those models we will see a lot more within this space. I think right now where they are limited is they are using previous shortage data. We've kind of already pointed out um, the holes in that data that was previously not required to be shared by manufacturers. So I think um, we are well on our way and I'm really excited to see where that goes, but I think that is a space that we will um, look at going forward. And then finally, quality. I forgot to mention this, but in the National Academy's report, they actually pointed out the fact that holding an institution kind of standard to a quality associated with drug shortages, and if quality was available for any manufacturer of any of the manufacturers, how that could be kind of implemented into accreditation bodies and part of the um, criteria that they look at when um, evaluating an institution. So I think that will definitely be a larger part of the conversation, not only when organizations go to make those contract negotiations with manufacturers, but also from an accreditation standpoint. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.